Okay, so we are starting um, the last I am, which is I am the vine. And uh, one of my commentators said um, that if all the discourses that John preserved, this might look like the most simple, but it's transcendent (laughs) and it's not easily understood. Uh, He said, John is sailing sky high, are we? This is the strongest food in the Bible. So button up, (laughs) buckle up because we're going. So uh, we've been talking about so many of these beautiful pictures. Um, Now we're going to talk about the relationship that God and Jesus have with us as believers. And um, this is a picture that shows complete dependence and the need for constant connection. As the branch depends on the vine, it depends even more, ladies, than the sheep depends on the shepherd, even more than the child depends on the father. All pictures that we've talked about. As Jesus is about to depart from his disciples, this was really important because they were really kind of scared. He wanted them to know that even though he was leaving, that somehow they were going to be remaining connected to him. Um, and because he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He's about to say that anyway. So on the night of his betrayal, Jesus was looking for a way to explain his relationship to the disciples that would carry them through the crucifixion was going to happen the next day and the resurrection and into the church age. He wanted them to understand that friendship, what friendship with him would soon entail. He had just washed their feet. He had fed them the, uh, um, the last supper. And they really were, for the most part, clueless as to what was about to happen. So after they left the upper room and they're on the way to Mount Olives, they pass by the temple. And I don't know if you know this, but in the time of Herod's temple, on the front of the temple, and this is a huge, huge building, they had a beautiful vine. And it was a gold vine. And all the rich people, you know how, like in the lyric, you can buy a little um, brick and has your name on it. Mm-hmm. Well, they had grapes. Okay, sort of the same thing. They didn't have your name on it. But they, you, could, you could spend a fortune and donate, and that was a very religious and sac, you know, sacrificial giving kind of thing, to this beautiful vine that was in front of Herod's temple. Because the vine, ladies, was the symbol of Israel. Just like the eagle is the symbol of our country, the vine, especially, well, there's a bunch of Old Testament references, um, uh, if you want to look them up later. Psalms 87 and 7 through 18, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, Jeremiah 2, 21 and 22, Ezekiel, all of Ezekiel 15, and then Ezekiel 19, 10 through 14. These are all that talk about how, and so Israel knew that it was the vine. It was, it was the vine. Um, during the inter- intertestamental period, the, remember when the Maccabeans came and they cleaned out the temple? Um, they actually set up their coins, and on their coins, they had the vine. So, like I said, this was so common. And I'm going to back up and explain this parable because there's a lot of things that anybody, any Jew in the first century would automatically know that you guys don't know. Okay? So, I'm going to do a little bit of an intro before we get to the scriptures. Um, so the, the picture of the grapevine was extremely common in Israel and they knew what these three people were better than you and I do. The first person I want to introduce you to is the vine dresser and Jesus in this allegory says that that's God, the father. So other translations state instead of vine dresser, it's 
husbandman, gardener, farmer, but whatever you call him, you have to know he is the most important man in the vineyard. Okay, he it's a highly skilled position and an inexperienced vine dresser can ruin the whole crop. He provides support for the vine because his job is to pick it up off the ground away from the insects and the animals and provide direction. And the way he does this is by constant pruning. Some fruit trees can get by with a little bit of pruning, but a vine, oh my gosh, it has to be pruned all the time. So it has a tendency of itself to run wild and need constant supervision. The vine dresser is not just concerned about the quantity of fruit, but also the quality of the fruit. So um, let me just say that there's this idea in out there that says God is sort of like this mystical creation, uh, creator who wound up creation and then just sort of let it go. And this is such this picture is so contrary to that because in this picture we see God as constantly handling the vine and the branches he's constantly fertilizing digging around the roots checking for bugs nothing escapes his notice and there is dirt under his fingernails as he plants waters nurtures prunes the vine this is a beautiful picture of God the Father and I I want you to just Think about this, and you can at night remember this and think about it. And just say thank you, because he is so much more involved than we could ever imagine. Um, So this is not the first time God has tried his hand at gardening. Did he not plant a garden in the (laughs) one time before (laughs) in the Garden of Eden? And didn't he make it a beautiful place to fellowship and befriend a man named Adam? So this is, again, this is hauntingly familiar John's bringing all of this back. So then we have the second part of our allegory, and that's the vine, who represents Jesus Christ. And a vine may look wimbly, and I don't. But if you've ever tried to pull a vine out in your yard, you know that they are very strong. They're surprisingly strong. Um, unlike other fruit trees, it cannot stand upright. Um, it needs the vine dresser to lift it up and to hang it on the trellises or whatever they have um, fences the characteristic of being pliant makes him completely dependent on the vine dresser the vine is well if the vine is well and watered it can provide nourishment for a very large vine so again i want you to see in the picture of jesus christ um there's this dependence on the father um he has his job god has his job And now we're about to find out our job, which is the branches. And the branches represent the true believers. The branch is a natural outgrowth of the vine. The branches are a picture of dependence. They depend on the vine for nourishment. They depend on the vine dresser for pruning. Left to themselves, branches would grow out of control with little fruit. But on on its own, the branches are without strength and unable to produce fruit, rendering it useless. Okay? There is no room for independence in the vine, which is America's hallmark. <laughs> um, this, this allegory emphasizes interdependence, unity, harmony of purpose. Um, where the vine is strong, the branch is feeble and very needy. 
The branch, however, does produce the fruit. So, and both the vine dresser and the vine depend on the branches to be productive. The production of fruit is the reason for the vine as well as the main concern of the vine dresser. So have I set you up? So let's read the scripture. I'm going to read John 15, 1 through 9, and then we'll break it down. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the, branch, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, for you slow learners, and you are the branches. <laughs> Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will, sh- it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, so first of all, he says, I am the true vine. And, and again, true is as in genuine. Because, <laughs> you know, they're looking at the vine of, <laughs> on top of this temple. That, as we know, lots of Pharisees and people that are not very, not very godly live there. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm the true vine. Um, if, you, hmm, if you would know the meaning and the power of that word, that he's the vine... Do not think you're going to find it by study. Um, These may help you to show you what you must get from him to awaken a desire and a hope and a prayer, but they cannot show you the vine. Jesus alone can reveal himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit to open the eye, your eyes, to gaze upon himself, to open the hearts, to receive himself. He must himself speak the word to you and me and i there's this beautiful book that andrew murray who is an old saint he died in the early 1900s fabulous statesman almost you know anyway he wrote a book called abide and so i read it and so i'm going to quote a lot of it because he's one of my guys (laughs) we joke about in my class that my husband has another woman it's our boat (laughs) but john right now is my other guy (laughs) so i want us to pray the prayer that he has because honestly this is an interactive lesson and on our own I, i might give you more things and i might give you some fun facts but that's not the point the point is to usher in us into the presence of jesus christ who will have to reveal himself. Because guess what? I can't. But he can. So let's pray. This is um, a prayer from uh, Andrew Murray. Holy Lord Jesus, the heavenly vine of God's own planting, I beseech you, reveal yourself to my soul. Let the Holy Spirit, not only in thought, but in experience, give me to know all that you are, Son of God, and all you are to me as the true vine. Amen? Okay, so this is a beautiful picture, and it's going to show us absolute dependence 
and perfect confidence, okay? Because if you're going to be a branch, you're going. Those are two things that are going to come with you, come with the territory. Now, I don't know if I ever told you this. I dive. We dive as our family. We we scuba dive, and um, we dive every year for lobster. <laughs> but generally, we dive when we dive for lobster. It's in kind of shallow water, so. We don't really have dive buddies. Do not let that out because you're always supposed to have a dive buddy. <laughs> but when we dive wrecks, which are like 60 feet, you know, we always have a dive buddy. Cause you, and you should always have. Because there's a dependence. You're depending on that person, okay? But you also have to have confidence in that person. So I remember one time we were diving a wreck down in the Keys. And it was, a, it was kind of a, a really windy day. And there's lots of current. And, um, and so my, my husband said, he's my dive buddy when I'm really his dive slave, which means I just go wherever he goes. If I want to stay with him, I just have to like paddle, keep paddling. <laughs> okay. Because there's no interactive thing here. This is, this is where this, this analogy completely breaks down. But anyway, so, but other than that, his, so he says to me, why don't you let Jim, Jim can be your dive buddy. And I said, Oh no. Oh no. And I, he said, why? He says, Jim's a good diver. I said, yes, Jim is a great diver. I said, but Jim, will not throw himself in front of a shark like you will. <laughs> and he said, oh. <laughs> so, so anyway, I was like, and he's like, oh, that's probably true. <laughs> Jim's a lawyer, so he is the shark. But, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, but the idea is, is that I, for this to work, for have the tell, you have to have total confidence, okay? And I want us to uh, think about that because this is a picture of us with Jesus Christ. And I, and he's going to open our eyes more and more. He's going to, he's, he's, get, he's pulling up the shutters so that we can see him more and more. Um, and, um, I kind of equate it when I was teaching it in my Sunday school class that, you know, he's kind of like Clark Kent and he's got the Superman stuff underneath and he, every once in a while, he's like, okay, here's me. You know, he shows you a little bit more. Yeah, I'm way better than you think, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jesus is showing us a little bit more about, so we could fall in love with him even more, okay? And that's the whole point of this. So um, let's go to verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So the vine dresser comes to our allegory and he's somewhat armed and dangerous, okay? So he comes and he says, we can do it the hard way or we can do it the easy way. <laughs> you pick. <laughs> I'm just saying. So what he says here is that um, it, the branches that don't have any fruit, he's gonna lop them. We're gonna talk more about that in verse six. But even the branches that bear fruit, he's going to prune, okay? Pruning is not fun. I'm just going to tell you, in this analogy, it is not fun, but it is really necessary, okay? So um, let's just talk about, uh, F.B. Myers writes, um, this is the pruning knife cutting away, oops, sorry, the shoots of my self-life that the whole energy of my soul may be directed into manifesting the life of the Lord Jesus. We gain by loss. The inward man is being renewed, but the outer man gets the, gets the knife, okay? Andrew Murray says, um, let me just say, um, 
he talks about how we and and certainly he's going to prune us if we are sinful. I mean, because he wants he's going to prune us very quickly. You know, if we're if we're heading in the wrong direction, if we're going and we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, sometimes he's going to and and you know that's why. Let me just say it, the Bible says James says consider it pure joy, my brother, and when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces all these great things okay but i'm just saying we have this attitude that every time something wrong happens that god is has fallen off his throne in heaven and is is running around like a chicken with his head caught off saying oh my gosh that totally caught me off guard i think not okay so we have to really trust that the pruning, it's like he talks about in Hebrews, like the discipline of the Lord. He disciplines whom he loves. He, and it's for our benefit. So I, I just have to just get that little word in edgewise. And sometimes, let me just say, he actually disciplines us, um, or he, say, he um, cuts us. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you about that in a minute because that's not here. The branch is exactly like the vine in every aspect. In all of this, we are inseparably one. If you look at a vine, you can't tell where the vine and the branch, they're all one, okay? It's about connection. Um, that is, he is the very nature and the, we are become the very nature and the spirit of Christ. Um, and he is calling us to perfect conformity to Christ. The branch is the perfect lightness of the vine. The only difference is one is great and strong and the source of strength, and the other is little and feeble, ever needing and receiving strength. Even so, the believer is and is to be the perfect likeness of Christ. This is a lesson, lesson of perfect conformity, absolute dependence, and undoubting confidence. And let me just tell you, for us to be to to really get this and to really abide we have to have all three of those aspects in him um so there are i want to say eight um benefits of abiding so let's let me give you some of them and we're just going to do this as we no seven seven benefits of advice and and we're going to do this as we study the scriptures so the first benefit is we are pruned by a master um, and let me just say, and this was going to say a second ago, sometimes he prunes us in the midst. We might be flourishing in a ministry, but sometimes it becomes more my ministry than his ministry. So that's why the vine dresser, a lot of times after the season and they pick all the grapes, I mean, he cuts the heck out of that vine, puts it back. And so sometimes he does that for a very good reason. Um, but let me just say, the more perfect the cleansing and cutting away of all that is self, the less of surface over which the Holy Spirit is to be spread. So much more intense can be the concentration of our whole being to be entirely at the disposal of the Spirit. This is the true circumcision of the heart, and this is being crucified with Christ. I'm just saying we're going to get there, but this is part of it, and I don't want us to miss it. So the first um, benefit is that we are pruned by the master. Second is we're pruned by the word. In verse 3, it says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Jesus has been talking all this time to the disciples. They've been listening to this word. And honestly, the Holy Spirit's going to remind them so they can actually write this word later. But they were clean by this word. We know in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word prunes, ladies. And um, F.B. Myers so cutely writes in 1800, Perhaps if we would more often yield ourselves to the pruning of the word, we would escape the pruning of sore pain and trial. (laughs) If the work were done by the golden edge of scripture, it might make the iron edge of chastisement needless. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? (laughs) You can, it's like, you can do it this way or you can do it, you pick, you know. Um, And let me just say, He is committed to doing this. He said in Philippians, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it to the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so we also know um, that John 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's huge benefits to being pruned by the word. And um, let me just say that in my life, I know, you know, there's some, I I have like the worst testimony, like on the the planet, like nobody would want to listen. Like it's a totally yawn testimony. Like I got saved at six. I never really had any huge act of rebellion. You know, I have the testimony that you want your kids to have, okay? <laughs> Not the ones maybe you want to have, but the ones your kids you want your kids to have. But let me just say, because I grew up on the scriptures, I knew I, somehow they just seemed right to me. So I didn't fight so much. So there was a whole lot of terrible things that never happened to me. <laughs> Because I was sort of trying to pay attention the first time, okay? And let me just say, there's a whole lot. Scripture, people are, they talk about God's law like it's some kind of a terrible thing. And God's law is freedom. Um, Somebody was just telling to me this about how if you are on the top of a silo, okay? You know, you know I'm talking about a silo, the big tall things, really tall things, okay? And if you were on the top of the silo, okay, and there was no fence around the edge, where would you stand? Right in the middle. <laughs> would you move to the left or to the right? No, no, no. But if there was a fence around the silo, where would you go? You would go everywhere, right? That is God's word. It's the fence. And it gives us unrestricted movement in areas that are safe. And it's good. And we have way more freedom. Than we could ever imagine. So anyway, but that was that's a freebie. I didn't even think to say that. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a, somebody just told me that. I'll think of who in a minute. <laughs> okay, so Andrew says. Okay, we go to verse four. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Okay, so what it's saying, abide in me, if the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So if it's unconnected, okay, if it's disconnected, it is just a piece of wood, right? So this is what it looks like. I'm just saying, this is our choice, okay? I'm just saying sometimes we think that we get to invite God into our world and then we disinvite him when things get a little squirrely or when he asks us to do something that we don't want him to want to do or when his his commands are a little mm, tight you know mm. um but i'm just saying that when we disconnect because we want to do it our way i'm just saying i want you to see this picture this is how lovely you're going to look okay and this is how useful you're going to be and I'm, Cheryl, I'm showing them a very dead stick. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so Andrew uh, Murray warns us, there is an unspeakable danger of much work with little fruit for lack of this vital relationship. There needs to be a cleansing from all that there is of self-will and self-confidence in our life. Our blessed Lord desires to call us away from ourselves and our own strength and into himself and into his strength. I'm just saying this is the requirement. This is not an option. Um, and so he talks about abide. This is one of my favorite words. Um, it He's going to use it 11 times in this passage. So we better figure out what it is. Um, but let me tell you the danger of this word. The danger of this word is that now you have a word that's a new work. <laughs> this is abiding is not work. Just saying, okay? So let me write, read what uh, Andrew Murray says. How much fruitless effort in trying to attain this abiding? Why is that? Because the attention is turned to the abiding as a work we have to do instead of the living Christ saying we do this naturally i do this i maybe i'm just all by out there by myself but i just naturally say oh this is a something i'm gonna do really great at this he's gonna be so and i totally detach from the vine and say just wait you are gonna be so impressed <laughs> and i start this work and i've done this a million ways i'm like and he and every Myers like that's night that ain't what he's talking about here <laughs> so it he wants us to focus not on the abiding, but on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And not on this thing that I'm supposed to do, but just the resting in this beautiful relationship that he's given us called abiding. So, okay. So, see, it's God's job to hold us and keep us there. We thought of abiding sometimes as a continual strain or an effort. And then we forget it really means rest from effort. It's the sweet spot. To one who has found a place of abode, a resting place. He says, abide in me, rest in me, let me do the work. Only consent and yield your all to me and I will do it all in you. Uh, this yieldedness and surrender is a beautiful thing that I honestly I think we don't hear enough about in our world today, especially in Christianity. Um, there is a whole, and we're we're going to get there because we're going to we're going to talk more about it. So when he talks about abiding, let me just 
He's going to say it 11 times. And actually abiding in him is a prerequisite to a bunch of other things like bearing fruit and being in the, obeying his commands, being in the word. Um, so I really want us to understand it. What does the word abiding mean? It's the Greek word meno, and it's translated remain, continue, dwell, tarry, tarry, T-A-R-R-Y. Um, it's also Kenneth Weiss, one of my favorite Greek scholars, says he he... He um, translated it to be in living communion. And I really like that. It's focusing on our union, our unity, our oneness with Jesus Christ. And I think no matter how old you are as a saint, we all know we could do that better. Um, So a derivative um, of Monet is found in John 14, 23 which he says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home in him. That, that's beautiful. Warren Wearsby defines it. It's a means to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work through us to produce fruit. Um, so man was created for this oneness, this fellowship with God. God even made a beautiful garden so he could walk in it with the man in the cool of the day. But Adam walked away and sin entered the world. The the story you know of the prodigal son is very familiar. The son walked away from the father, not desiring his presence or his fellowship. But when he came to his senses, he realized that even though he's lost his position, he can go back to his presence. And so this is the presence Because of what Christ is about to do this very next day on the cross, man's sin that separated him from this fellowship was going to be atoned for so that we can now be home. We go back home into the Father's presence, which is what he wanted all along. Andrew Murray writes, The abiding in Christ is an intensely personal relationship. The losing ourselves in the fellowship of his infinite love finding our life in the experience of being loved by him and being nowhere at home but in his love. There's something so beautiful with that. Um, F.B. Myers writes, Children, I'm leaving you, and there's many things I desire for you, many things I want to utter, many cautions, many lessons, but I am content to leave it all unsaid if you will only remember this one thing. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay put in me. Be in that living communion with me. Be where God has put you. Deepen, emphasize, intensify the union already existing between me and you. Draw from myself your strength and your nourishment. When we become Christians, we are placed into this body of Christ. We are in him. And if you did the study with me in Ephesians, you know that being in Christ, he says it like 30-something times in Ephesians. And we are to be in Christ, Paul says, the same way as a fish is in water, as a bird is in the sky, as in roots are in the ground. John is saying the exact same thing. If you want, you need to abide in me. So let's go back. Keep going back to the scriptures. Okay, so we haven't, we're on. Okay, so we are at... We bear much fruit. The third benefit is we bear much fruit. John 5, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, da 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 da. <laughs> this is what you look like, ladies. I'm fly, I'm holding the dead branch, Cheryl. <laughs> so, it's not pretty. Okay, so Andrew Murray says, have you noticed the difference in the Christian life between work and fruit? A machine can do work, but only life bears fruit. A law can compel work, but only love can spontaneously bring forth fruit. Uh, Work implies effort and labor. The essential idea of fruit is that it's silent, it's natural, restful, and it's the produce of our inner life. Mm. See, I'm fairly certain you never see a vine going, mm, can I just get that fruit out, you know? But yet in Christian circles, I'm saying we see a lot of that grunting going on. And that is just, hello, a litmus test saying we are the wrong color because we are doing the work ourselves. Because Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, so just saying that's kind of our deal here. So we go on to chapter uh, to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, so I'm going to say this passage has been interpreted at least three ways. Um, the first interpretation is not one that we believe as sort of as Baptist, because this is more of a, the Arminian point of view and that is that you can lose your salvation so the Arminians would look at this and say okay you were a Christian but you stopped producing fruit so out you go into the hellfires okay so we don't really believe that one the second view is one that actually is in my study bible um, but I don't believe it's correct and that is is that they say that our fruit um, the third well it sees let me just read it because it's easier for me to read it um, the cast out branches as fruitless disciples who live wasted lives and that they're, and basically their works are burnt up, but not necessarily their eternal destiny. And they use the verse, first Corinthians three, 11 through 15, the wood, hay and stubble and say, but they're all burned. And this could be you, but some are saved as if by fire. Okay. So they imply that. And that could be an interpretation. Now, there's only one interpretation. You know this, right? Because hermeneutically, God only had one idea here. And it's us to, up to figure it out. So um, so anyway, I'm going to go with John MacArthur, Cheryl's favorite. <laughs> and his interpretation. Because honestly, I used to think it was this one. And I now that I've really been studying in John, I really think it's John. I think John's right. I just have to go with him. And this is this view is saying that there are branches that look like branches and they look like believers and they act like believers, i.e. Judas, who just left the room. But they are never they were never believers. And if you hold that, I, I think that's really true. I think in the parable of the sower and the seed. You, you know, you got four, four kinds of seed going out there, but the true believer is only the one that reproduces. Mm-hmm. The, the, the ones that the birds come and the ones that the, the weeds choke, they were really, if you read it carefully and if you agree with John, they were never really saved. Um, and this is disconcerting mm-hmm. um, because 
basically this is a winnowing of our church and our lots of people in our lives and like we said before and uh, Dean and Sierra wrote this book called the unsaved Christian and there's a whole lot of people that believe just because they're not atheists that means they're Christians mm -hmm. and they really have never met Jesus mm -hmm. they have never really repented of their sins and and asked for forgiveness and they've they've never seized the atonement that he's provided for us um, by faith so they're not really Christians they sound a lot like Christians they and like I said before when I quoted him um, they can tell they can say every verse to amazing grace but they really don't know why it's so amazing mm. so I'm just saying there's I'm just like so I agree with John um, and Cheryl that uh, this passage is really talking about this the Christians that that I should say the pseudo believers that really that look like they believe and Jesus is going to be talking about because there a bunch of them have been leaving you have seen them leave when he said you have to drink my blood if you want to abide in me remember he said this way back in chapter six if you want to abide in me you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh uh, yeah uh, that was a pretty picture so <laughs> a lot of people said oh that is too gross for me and they left okay and remember he looks at his disciples he says are you going to go too? You're not going to go. And then Peter says, well, where are we going to go? <laughs> Is there something else out there? I don't think so. <laughs> so I love Peter. Anyway, okay, so let's keep going. So the emphasis here is plain. There are no true disciples who do not abide. Now, let me just say, I'm going to back up. and get to my little page here. Because you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So let's talk about sin for just a second. Okay, so one comment. Okay, so sort of like a father um, who put a young a young son on a train that was going home. The father would say to his son, "Stay put, remain on the train. When the train stops at various stations, don't get off to view the scenery. Stay on board until the last stop." In this analogy, the tracks of the train represents God's will or his commands for you, okay? There's only one room, there's only one destination, and there's only one goal. Either you're on board for God's will for you, or you are derailed. Abiding in Christ presupposes that you've chosen already to lay aside yourself and submit to his leadership. That's getting on the train, okay? But let me just say, the good news is that, um, and Kay Arthur, who I know you know, says that the greatest sin, and it's funny because you think, what's the greatest sin? Is Hitler? Is that the greatest sin? No, the greatest sin is independence. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, folks, uh, there is no room for independence. This vine is all about dependence. Mm -hmm. There's no room for independence on the train. But so you can't really, like Frank, say, I want to do it my way. You, but here's so if you get off the train okay there's good news because of Calvary if you exit in sin you can reboard in confession and repentance hallelujah right <laughs> we can get right back on that train again so 1st John 1 9 that's your ticket so cute okay let's keep going <laughs> the fourth thing is a bonus prayer life if my words abide in you um, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Spurgeon says prayer comes spontaneously from those who abide in Christ. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with him. Mm. 
Man, I, I, I think that's really true. Um, Tenney writes, to remain in Christ or to abide in Christ is to allow his words to abide in oneself, a meaning a conscious acceptance of his authority and word and a constant contact with by prayer. Mm-hmm. Constant. Um, and it shall be done for you. Spurgeon says it's it becomes safe for God to say to a sanctified soul, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Because the heavenly instincts of that man will lead him all right. The grace that is within his soul thrusts down his covetous lustings and his foul desires. And his will is the actual shadow of God's will. The spiritual life is master in him, and so his aspirations are holy, heavenly, and godlike. See, when we get connected, we're not just connected. We're really connected. Like, we get him, he gets us. We are loving this fellowship that we have. And so he's not scared that you're going to go out and ask for a Mercedes. Because if you're asking for a Mercedes, you ain't in. You just ain't in, hon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, there might be a reason for a Mercedes, but I doubt it. <laughs> Get yourself to Lexus and give 20000 to the church, okay? I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> if you're rich, which I'm not. <laughs> I drive a Pathfinder. <laughs> That's 10 years old. Okay, Andrew Murray writes about the secret of abiding. What is the secret? I love this. This is so good. Being wholly occupied with Jesus. Wholly occupied with Jesus. Sink the roots of your being in faith and love and obedience deep down into him. Come away out of the other place to abide here. Give up everything for the unconceivable privilege of being a branch on earth of the glorified Son of God in heaven. Let Christ be first. Let Christ be all. Do not be occupied with abiding. Be occupied with Christ. He will hold you. He will keep you abiding in him. He will abide in you. And Myers writes, we're in Christ not because we hold him, but he holds us. Amen? Amen. So the fifth benefit of um, abiding is that we glorify God. In 15.8, it says, by this is my father glorified that we bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. Now, how lovely that is because that happens to be our purpose. If you, if you read the Westminster Catechism, asks, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if you want to know more about that, one of these days I'm going to go teach my lessons again about how glorifying God. I did a six-week six, six lesson on that because I didn't understand it very well, so that's what I do. I teach it so that I have to, like, and see, they know me that I'm only really one lesson ahead. Don't think I'm that smart. I'm just one lesson ahead. Okay. So, so anyway, so, but that was a, a great, because that's really is truly our, our main purpose is to give him honor and glory. So when we are abiding, guess what happens? He's glorified. Um, and how is he glorified? Because we bear fruit, ladies, um, so 9 and 10 say, our, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Not just abide in me. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Okay, so first of all, abiding in his love. To being nowhere at home but in his life. Now, when I was a kid, we used to play tag. 
and across the street from my house, because there's like 15 of us, and every day we would play tag. I don't, just can't imagine that we wouldn't get bored of this, but we never got bored with it, because we, I never got bored, because I was really fast, so I was a good <laughs> tag player. But there's, a, across from my house, there's this huge rock, bigger than this thing right here, and it was home base. And you all know that when you play hide-and-seek in any kind of tag, there is a home base. And you are safe when you're on home base. And very quickly in the game, you have to say you can only stay on home base like 30 seconds because otherwise everyone would just stay home. (laughs) But I just want you to know that you have home base, and he's given you this little rock, and you carry it with you, and you can always be at home with him. He is, And you are always safe there. And no, nothing can, you're, you get superpowers, okay? When you're on home base, you know that, right? Nobody can touch you. Nobody can tag you because you are at home. And I'm just saying there's something there that we can think about on a dark and stormy night um, that will give us some sort of peace even in the midst of the fray because we can be at home in his love anywhere. Um, so then he says, by this is my father glorified. Um, and that's glorified is honored. He's honored by strong, vigorous vines and plenty of fruit. It is uh, It honors him um, to see his children entirely freed from sin and perfectly filled with love. That's what, that's what that fruit looks like, okay? Um, Andrew Murray records, Our abode is the home of our soul, and it is to be the love of Christ. We are to live our life there and to be at home there all day. So then it says, um, okay, uh, 10 and 11, it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So, um, So this is going to talk about the sixth benefit, and that's unbelievable joy. Now, I want you to say, see how Jesus said, if you keep my commands and abide in my love, just as I have kept whose commandments? My Father's command and abide. Okay, we're seeing a little analogy here. I want you to do like I have done. And I'm just telling you, this is more and more in John, I'm seeing that Jesus came to show us how a creature is supposed to react and live and honor the creator. And everything he did to God the Father, he wants us to do to him. He has gone as an example. Remember he said in John 4, I mean in John 6, he said, I haven't come to do my will, I've come to do my Father's will. He said in John 4, what is this food that you have? It is to do the will of of my father in heaven. I am just saying that we have an erroneous thought in our world that if we can be a Christian and still have our own way, I don't see that. You just show me where this is. Because, I, and it's interesting because, um, let me read what Andrew says, my buddy. He says, he took on our human nature to teach us how to wear it. And to show us how obedience is the first duty of the creature. It's the only way to abide in the favor of God and to enter his glory. The divine fitness of this connection between obeying and abiding is easily seen. God's will is the very center of his divine perfection. 
Now you can think about that in traffic, okay? God's will is the very center of his divine perfection. Um, as revealed in his commandments, it will open the way for the creature to grow into the likeness of the creator. In accepting and doing his will, I rise into fellowship with him. Therefore, it was the son who said, I came to do the will of God. This was the place that would be the, uh, this is the place of blessedness for the creature. And this is what we lost in the fall. And this is what he died to bring us back to this connection, this union, this living communion that he wants to have with each one of us. And it's different because we've talked about this. You guys are all in Christ differently. You're different. You know, it's like a beautiful mosaic and all y'all are different colors and we are all to be filled with him and, and the light that's refracting us is going to make something so beautiful one day when we actually get it all together and see it, but this is what we are to be to him. But we have to do this in him, in his presence, all the time. And we don't get to vote. We don't get to say, oh, I'm going to be a better Christian, so I'm going to give this part of my life to God. Like, excuse me? He gets it all, or he doesn't get anything. But this whole idea, and honestly, this is very popular idea, is as I mature in Christ I, I give him more I give him more oh no he wants it all from the get go and does he know you're going to mess up oh absolutely he's very patient but he is moving in you but you don't get to say I'm going to give him this part of my life but my dating life oh the, no he can't touch that uh uh-uh. uh or my kids uh uh-uh. uh Mm-mm, he better not be messing with my kids because I got to do what I need to do with them. Okay? Everything should fall under. And I love what he said about his will. Uh, yeah. So he, his will is what his commands are. And it's so funny because I never thought of that before. In my whole life, I've never thought about it. his will. He wrote all these commands because, duh. We're still, we forget. And so he wrote them all down so he could say, what is, when we say, oh, I don't know what God's will. He's like, open the book. You know, it's right there. I wrote it down for you. Okay. Can you read? Hopefully you can. <laughs> and so no, or can you at least listen to the word? Because his word will not come back void and it cleanses us. It prunes us. And this is what he has given for us to do. And we don't get to vote on it. Just saying. Okay. Okay, so our life, just as Jesus' life was a perfect example to God on how we are to be, our life is to be the exact counterpart of Christ's life. Just saying. So there's lots of joy in this. There's really a lot of joy in this. And there's a lot of rest in this that we as Americans, as American Christians, oh man, we feel guilty at the minute we put our feet up. And he's like, I don't understand. You guys need to come and live in the Middle East for a little longer because you got it all wrong. You are working too hard and you are put the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. You have totally put the cart before. Jesus says to him, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How will this happen? Because I, you're going to come and you're going to be yoked with me. I'm going to do the heavy lifting and you're going to walk with me. Okay. And then we're going to have works that happen, but it's going to be you and me together doing this. 
It's never going to be you by yourself. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, we try a lot in our own pride, I guess. I don't know what it is to do stuff. And we, and again, as part of it is that we think we got to clean ourselves up for him. Like he, like, oh my gosh, he never knew that I really thought that. <laughs> Pretty sure he knows everything, I think. <laughs> he knows every day of my life before there was yet one of them. So let's know that he, there's no surprises. And here's the thing. He loves us. Even with all of our ugliness and all of our sins, he went to the cross to have this kind of fellowship. And sometimes we don't even have give him the time of day. Oh, it's so convicting for me. Okay, so this is... Um, Right now, uh, Andrew, right now, John actually leaves this parable of all this vine dresser because he wants to talk about love. And he really can't talk about love and vines because there's no loving in vines, really, if you think about it. So he interjects this thought. And um, so there is no personal living love in the branch. So, And we are in danger at looking at Christ as a savior, as the supplier of every need, without any sense. Um, mm, whoa, wait a pages that's a problem um of the intensity of the personal affection which jesus embraces us and in alone and alone within our life finds its true happiness um so he interjects love so let's get there 12 and 13 this is my commandment that you love one another how as i've loved you greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends um and then he goes on Um, 14 through 16, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. So the seventh and probably the best benefit is that he no longer calls us slaves anymore. He calls us friends. And this Greek word means friends at court, okay? It describes the inner circle of a king. It describes those who are close to him and know his secrets. We do not need an appointment to have easy access to our friend, the king. However, we are his subjects, and we must obey him. Servants concern themselves with obedience, but he says, I've disclosed my, pa- my plans to you so you understand. He's looking for us to understand. And in case um, you, could, you start in how you wouldn't really want me as a friend, Jesus, let me tell you, I chose you before the foundations of the world, Ephesians says. A long, long time ago. I saw you and I picked you for my team. Um, so that you could bear fruit and that your fruit would last. And because of this, you can ask anything in my name. Um, Andrew Murray writes, Beloved disciples, seek above everything else to be a person of prayer. Here is the highest exercise of your privilege as a uh, branch of the vine. Here is the full proof of your being renewed to the image of of God and his son. Here's your power to show how you like Christ live not for yourself but for others. Here your abiding in Christ is led to his abiding in you to use you as a channel and an instrument of his grace. 
The power of direct access to the Father for men is the liberty of intercession. It is the, higher exer- the highest exercise of our union with Christ. Oh, let it be one of unceasing, prevailing intercession. Isn't that beautiful? I, that really totally convicted me because I am not a great prayer. But I think what he's looking for is not necessarily like being on your knees 24-7, but having that beautiful divine communion all the time. Um, this is my commandment that you love one another. Um, John, even the Apostle John, who's writing this, he lived to be very, very old. And they would carry him in and they would say, they speak to us. And he would say, children, little children love one another and they finally got tired of that and they say why are you constantly saying the same thing and he said because this is the commandment of the lord and the observation of it alone is enough for you let me just say it's huge so i'm just saying that um how is our communication okay and how is our friendship And that's this week what I really want you to do is think about Jesus as your friend. But don't think about how Jesus is your friend. I want you to think about how you're a friend to Jesus. How would he rate you as a friend in the things that you just said were important in friendship? And that's, if that's not convicting, I don't know. It's totally convicted me. So I'm I'm thinking it's probably going to be out there for you as well. I don't know. But I think this is really true stuff for us to really contemplate and and get real with. And so let's um, close and pray.